John? I'm doing great, man. How are you? I'm fantastic. You know, happy, uh, happy hump day. Happy Wednesday. Hey, Mike. You know what day it is? <laughs> it's Wednesday. Yep, 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 yep. Wasn't that a camel commercial? I was a camel. So, uh, a lot of things happening in the world today, right? Yeah, there is. So, we're we're in current events. Welcome to Saturday morning sales meeting. We we haven't been here for a long time. I know it. We've both been traveling a lot. We have. And we, uh, we have all these episodes in the backlog that neither one of us are editing in, in the meantime. In the meantime. Yeah, we should be. Yeah, there, there's somebody throwing... Uh, what are they... Something's coming down off of the uh, those people who are in the the space above the studio. Yeah, no, I think uh, someone's up there peeing off of their, <laughs> yeah. out of their window. Well, if, if, then they're a horse, uh, you know, or some large animal because that's significant well, amounts of fluid being thrown off of the upper balcony. I, maybe he's cleaning that area. That There's been a lot is, of banging up there lately. Okay. Like uh, scraping and banging and stuff moving. And none of that works at all with your you know, uh, OCD or your other uh, idiosyncrasies. Well, it's kind of annoying. Yeah. <laughs> to my point. Yeah. You, you are highly annoyed by that because... A couple times before we started recording, you were like, what is that scraping? <laughs> I, and honestly, I didn't even notice it. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, no. Well, here's the thing. You know, uh, we let the cat out while we record. Right. But he's learned this trick. We've talked about it before where he will like put his claws into the screen and kind of snap it. You know, so it goes. Bah, 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 bah. Yeah. Bah, 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 bah. And uh, he won't quit until you let him in. Yeah. And so I keep looking over there thinking it's the cat wanting to come in. Yeah. And it's not. It's this moron upstairs scraping and pushing water off of his... I don't know that him doing work up there is directly related to his intelligence. Which makes him a moron. <laughs> well, you a moron? Does it make him annoying? To you? Absolutely it does. You know, we have two dogs. We yeah. don't have a cat because I'm, I'm allergic. But uh, we have two dogs and we've got this, you know, big Irish wolfhound. I mean, you know, he's massive. Uh, I'm 6'4 and he can put his paws on my shoulders and we're looking eye to eye. So, What kind of dog is it? Uh, Irish wolfhound. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, those yeah. are huge. Yeah. And, uh, and then we have this little mutt. Right, yeah. furry, cute as all can be, mutt. Yeah, and so we have a front door, and then we have a screen door, and you know the screen door is rarely you know secured, mm -hmm. and secured, secured. What do you mean secured? I mean like locked, fastened or? in a place where you couldn't just push on it and open it. Oh, like you can just push on it. Okay, and it opens. I'm thinking of a sliding screen door. No, this I'm is thinking a, one, it's just like it's uh, not in the tracks. It's just leaning against the a hinged uh, okay. screen door that uh, has you know yeah, like, pulls like the back closed. South. Yeah, it's, yeah. And uh, in our mountain house, like like in the car business, yeah, you're getting close the screen door <laughs> on a windy day. So uh, yeah, so the the mutt. Right, this little guy, he knows if the front door is open, 
he could just push the screen door open with his head and cruise on out. Okay. But the big dog, if the screen door is closed, he'll, and he's this massive dog. I mean, he could probably push through it even if it was secured. Yeah. And he'll walk around in circles and whine and cry until you open that door for him. Push it open. And he sees the little dog push it open. <laughs> but he does not think that... Maybe he thinks he's not allowed to. Possibly. It's just, it's a closed door and he's not going through until you open that door for him. And then when... Such, such a metaphor for life, right? Amen. A lot of us are that way, aren't we? And the thing that made me think of it was, you know, you talking about the cat with his way to come in. Well, the little dog knows if he's outside and he wants to come in, because that door's not secure, he can hit it with his paw and it'll bounce against the frame, (laughs) right? So he just sits there and you know he's ready to come in because you hear that door bounce, bounce, bounce. Right, he'll just do it over and over again until you go. Oh, it won't bounce enough for him to get his paw in there. No, 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 no. He's just—it's like him knocking, right? <laughs> and you hear that? Oh, somebody let his name's Gator. Somebody let Gator in. All right, goes bounce, bounce, bounce. Yeah, so that's. He his, says, Hello, <laughs> I am home. Does he have a Mexican accent? This dog? He does. Yeah. Where's the Where's the sombrero? Bark! I'm barking <laughs> Hello. here. Hello. <laughs> Is anyone home? <laughs> hey, Wolf out. Right. Come over here. No, you're no good. You know how to open the door. Right. Which, obviously, the Wolfhound has an Irish accent. Does since he? he is an Irish Wolfhound. What is, yeah. How does he so? Hey, could you open the door mate? <laughs> I don't know if that's... Yeah. Is that Cockney or I don't know. Yeah, no, that's... That uh, Scottish. Yeah, that's... Uh, what. Australian with a hint of uh, Italian in there, uh, uh, which has no bearing on Irish, but that's all right. Uh, okay, so uh, I've been watching some movies uh, lately, Ray. Have you? Yeah, watched a bunch of movies. Uh, watched one about Fat Lilo. This this guy lost 150 pounds, and he's now like a bodybuilder guy. That was kind of interesting. Sounds more like a documentary. It was kind of. Uh, they. It was funny though. Like it's a great idea. This guy, he's like a realtor in New York, and yeah. uh, so he's a businessman. And he kind of built up his own realty agency, you know. So he's kind of motivational, and you know, New York guy. Uh, he gets his buddy to film him. He said, "Hey, you know, I'm going to lose weight. Let's make some money off this." Film me when I'm fat. And the, and the transition. I, yeah. Follow me through this yeah. journey of weight loss. Right. So he does it in like nine months. And uh, then, you know, he's got all this uh, extra skin from being a fat guy for 30 years. Gross. So it goes through the uh, surgery there. It takes like seven hours. Oh, God. They kind of got his nipples in the wrong place. To be oh, my God. I guess they yeah. had to cut them off and then sew them back on in the right place. And they kind of missed. Oh. <laughs> From from the first, you know, you're you're bringing up of this documentary, we'll call it. Yeah. Uh, it, it didn't sound like something I would choose to watch. Yeah. And the further you get down this track, makes me more and more convinced that I have no desire. Yeah, I think you ought to watch it. It's really good to watch this guy lose weight and participate in his making money off of his own best interest of weight loss. Right. Yeah, no, I, th- I think you'd enjoy it. No, no, that, that ain't going to happen. So, uh, have you seen the, the Tiger King? 
The ti- no, never you have never it. watched the Tiger King. No, no. all right, you you know I, I know the memes. You know all right of the Tiger King. I, I, what I learned off TikTok, you know, which is like better than the Wall Street Journal. Oh yeah, for, for current events, <laughs> absolutely. But so uh, we watched it, and it was it you you couldn't help but continue to watch it, kind of like when you start watching a Jerry Springer episode. And, you know, you just, you can't stop just because you can't believe how depraved or... A, a Maury Povich, you want to learn who the father is? Right, yeah, I guess. Or, or is and it's the kind of progression within this documentary of, you know, the first episode you watch, you go, oh my God, this, this these people are insane. This is right. wild. And then the next episode or installment... You go, oh my gosh! I've heard it keeps it, getting wilder it, and wilder. Yeah, it's crazier than I thought. And and just when you think that they can't get any, you know, there can't be any new revelations that are even more uh, outrageous than the previous one. There they go again. They just bring it to the next level on the next one. It just continues well, down this track. But uh, I recommended it to a friend. Yeah, and uh, he said good? he watched twenty minutes of it and has greatly diminished thought toward me based on my recommendation of this uh, undertaking. Yeah, I've heard that. That it's kind of, uh, I don't know, it gets a little stupid. Uh, I think it... It's more like Ace Ventura humor? It's not really that it's humorous. I wouldn't say... Oh, it's just... It's just, it's just this whole microcosm of a subculture of these people who are involved with you know, big game, the zoo breeding and, you know, uh, engagement. Yeah. in a zoo environment or that kind of thing. And, and yeah, I mean, there, there are people who are against the capture and breeding, but they're more involved in capture and breeding of those cats than (laughs) the people who they're, you know, riling against. And, And yes, they think uh, that only they should capture and breed, and because they're I, doing it for the good of the animal. I have no knowledge other than what I saw in the documentary, but I do believe that Carol Baskin killed her husband. Yeah, <laughs> whacked him. <laughs> right, can't convince me that it didn't happen. Right, and, uh, you know, we've all heard I mean, the song. It, right, if she didn't do it, then uh, you know, if that ever gets proven, I will publicly now apologize to Carol. But at this point, I think. Yeah, that's pretty convinced. Yeah, uh, it's compelling. Okay, it's so they compelling. wouldn't pick you for the jury. No, You'd because be I, off. I, yeah, I'd be kicked off as as I should be. <laughs> yeah, she she would deserve somebody who has not formed an opinion. <laughs> who, uh, yeah. Now that guy's in jail, right? Yeah, he is. What's he in jail for? For uh, conspiring to kill Carol Baskin. Are you kidding me? No. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I always thought that was her husband, but it obviously isn't because he's alive. Her husband was he married to Carol Baskin? No, 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 no. They okay. were always uh, mortal enemies. Oh, okay. yeah, no. Carol Baskin runs. I thought maybe she he was her second husband, and she no, had killed her no, first. No, no, no. Her, okay. And her second husband is. Oh, is she kinda, has a second husband. Yeah, she's remarried, okay. and he's wacky in his own right. All right. Well, yeah. so along those lines, did you ever see back in the nineties the? Uh, the outlaw, the dancing outlaw. No, it's a documentary about Jesco White uh, up in West Virginia, the hills of West Virginia, and his kind of larger-than-life family, Mamie, his sister, 
And uh, it just it was like an hour long documentary. And I, the way I heard it was somehow Roseanne Barr met this guy. And then, like, you're so interesting, your story is so outlandish that she pays for a documentary crew to go shoot a documentary on this guy. Okay. He's a tap dancer that tap dances to, uh, I don't remember, like Molly Hatchet or something. So what makes him an outlaw? I don't know. The type of music he... I guess. And, and associated then, with, like, I mean, outlaw music. breaks the law a lot. Oh, does he? He's, he, he, he's not like a one. bank robber who dances what? while he's robbing banks. He was robbed. He did rob a lot of places. Okay. He takes you through the little town he lives in and says, I robbed that place when I was 15. Right. I robbed that one twice when I was 16. They never caught me for that. But, <laughs> well, yeah. but he huffs gasoline. And oh, so, God. Yeah, he's just, and, you know, it's up in the mountains. They're like, you know, they're riding around in their truck shooting road signs. <laughs> so it was pretty, like, you know, this was pre-internet. So it was like kind of an underground, you know, hidden treasure of a video. That, right. And, you know, it didn't come on TV or anything. So you had to, like, pass the videotape around. Oh, God. You know, amongst your friends. Yeah. So, so. I, I don't get why that was entertaining to you. But what I described... <laughs> Was yeah something you have no desire? No, I didn't say I have no desire. I just was trying to empathize with your friend. Who oh, said, okay. You know this is not worth watching. Yeah. Uh, no, I would probably watch it, but I see something like that. I don't want to watch by myself. I want to watch with a bunch of people who are watching it for the first time, so we can all be appalled together. Uh, I, I don't know. I want to I... share in the appellation. <laughs> is that a word? Uh, it is now. <laughs> So, but, uh, go ahead. And uh, another documentary we just recently saw was um, the Cecil or Cecil Hotel in Los Angeles. Are you familiar with this hotel? I'm familiar with Cecil B. DeMille. Okay. Well, that has no bearing, but I appreciate you sharing. And he's um, not associated with the hotel? No. Sorry, I had to get up to go get more Diet Coke. I I'm see that. parched over here, Ray. Yeah. Well, go ahead. I mean, you can talk while I'm no, pouring. I, I will. I was just mesmerized by the pouring of the of the Diet Coke over <laughs> there. I'm wondering, like before you poured, was there actually enough in the bottle that you haven't consumed <laughs> directly from the bottle yet? It's getting about to I, I know. I, I, after you poured it, it's definitely at the, okay, this is permissible for me to go ahead and just take it right from the bottle. But... <laughs> So if I wanted some, I don't know. It was close to All right, all right, good. So it was why the, dirty a glass once the, it gets to that level. It was the disappearance at the the Cecil or Cecil, whatever it's C I C I L. I think okay. his name. Old historic hotel. I think they hotel. have a pizza place here in Hickson, actually. Yeah. Okay. They shorten it like yeah. CC's. So this historic hotel, right one block away from Skid Row. Okay. All right, where all the homeless and drug addicts and everything is I in LA. That was that other one. There's another one where like uh, Jim Morrison stayed, and he may have stayed. I mean, this is an old, old historic hotel in Bob Los Dylan Angeles. Stayed there. But you know, I mean, it went from pretty rapidly, and they go through the history from being a kind of a, a nicer hotel to a long-term stay for burnouts. Okay. But Or Hollywood elite, right? Or Hollywood elite, yeah, who are in the process of burning out. 
and so this girl who comes from Canada, um, and oh, here's a Wikipedia entry. I'm trying to find the other hotel, and it says uh, it's C E C I L. All right, Cecil whatever. Hotel. Cecil. So it's probably named after Cecil B. DeMille. <laughs> Don't you think? I mean, he's the yeah, only famous Cecil I know. I do. That. That's exactly what I think. Yep. You've convinced me. The, uh, the facts you have found are compelling and irrefutable. Good. So, anyway, this girl vanishes. Yeah. Right? She comes down from Canada and her first trip on her own, just kind of seeing the world and not really sure what she wants to do with herself. And she's documenting it on a, a blog that she's created and this journey. And, uh, and it develops this whole underground of websites and you know, internet investigators who are trying to figure out what happened to this girl. And when did this happen? Uh, early 2000s, maybe, two, two, or like 2013, 2013. Okay. Hey, here it is, 2013. Lamb is her name. Yeah, Canadian student. Yes. Oh my lord! Found inside of one of the water supply. Oh uh, well, you just you just gave away the. Oh. oh, sorry. So there was this whole long investigation <laughs> because they they saw her on a video camera and she was acting very bizarre. Yeah. Getting in and out of an elevator and you know pushing all the buttons and it looked like she was possibly couldn't tell if she's talking to herself or there's somebody outside the elevator but there was no cameras in the hallway oh, and she disappeared and they couldn't find any other evidence that she had left the building and you know so they thought maybe she went down the fire escape or uh, it's just this whole crazy thing and ultimately they found her in there was a water storage container up on the roof and she was in there so then it was okay did somebody kill her or yeah, i mean you know, in, well, yeah what, what could have happened and uh and they so there was a guy who his name was morbid Cecil B. DeMille. His, his his stage name was morbid okay and he's like you know a Hardcore. What's the what's the kind of music where they are screw you know screaming? Yeah, the whole screamo. Time? I think is no. It? That's not what it's it called. It really is. No, there's a, a name for that genre of music. Okay, and it's not screamo. It is screamo. <laughs> Look it up. Google it. So anyway, I'm, I'm looking at Google right now. So there's a whole Wikipedia. No, I'm kidding. I didn't it, look it up. His his name or stage name is Morbid, and okay. he even one of his videos of him performing his art is filmed at the Sissel Hotel. Okay. Right? In the background. And he even says something about how he loves Asians or something like that. And the girl was of Asian descent. Okay. And so everybody's decided that guy killed her. Right? And he, his oh, music he is all there? about, right, you know, Jeez. I don't know, you know, killing and Satanistic stuff. And he wore, you know, his dark, real dark makeup and his hair is always in his face. And, uh, you know, so they just, so, I mean, they basically just tortured this guy on the internet. Right? Yeah. I mean, people saying, you know, you should be dead and you should be in jail. It's like and the Reddit sleuths when they you. thought they found the Boston bomber. Right. 
and uh, accused this guy of being the Boston bomber, yeah. and they were wrong. Right. Well, this guy was in Mexico City the whole time. Okay. She was staying at the at the hotel. So he couldn't have possibly done it. Right. And, yeah, so they ruined this guy's life. And they have him on the documentary going, yeah. you know, he, he's, he's like, I, I can't even perform anymore. I mean, I just have no desire to be even he's do like, music. I can't, I can't sing about killing people anymore. Right. People taking it literally. <laughs> but he just, I mean, ruined the guy. It's just, yeah. you know, at first you see him as the villain. And then all of a sudden you realize, God, this poor guy was destroyed like, by people like on the Gene internet. Like Gene Simmons, the, the nicest guy in rock and roll, right? right. So, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it made you realize and, and think horribly about all these uh, these internet sleuths. Well, I, I am looking, I Googled this hotel, and it, like, one of the Wikipedia in, uh, entries is list of deaths at the Cecil Hotel. Oh, yeah. Well, the list is like 30 people long. <laughs> I would say about 90% of the people who have died at that hotel, the cause of deaths is listed as fell from building. (laughs) Like there's a lot of, maybe they should put up some rails or Mm -hmm. something. There's a lot of accidental people falling to their death. Lock the doors and windows going out of the building at, you know, anything above the second floor. I've heard, if this is the same hotel, like where Hunter S. Thompson stayed and Jim Morrison and all these famous people... Like, it's got a history of just weirdness and violence it does. in it. Okay. It does. They, they, they've they've done, uh, you know, like ghost hunter type okay. things there, you know, investigations. and. Oh, here's others. Uh, but I say 90% of the deaths are f- fell from building. Right. The other uh, 10% seem to be uh, ingested poison. Right. <laughs> yeah. There's one gunshot, but the most of them are... Or fell, and then coming in a close second is ingested poison. Yeah. Accidentally, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, I wonder if, you know, meth is considered a poison. <laughs> because, again, a lot of drug use and... Well, it is to a lot of people, Ray. And one block off of Skid Row and not not a safe place. Started in 1927 is the first... Uh... Anyway. Anyway. So yeah, another interesting documentary. As you, nobody needs to watch it now because you've kind of given away the. Uh, well, you you did a spoiler, right? Well, so one more movie I got I, I need to mention here is um, I started watching this because I was bored and uh, it looked interesting. It's called like something The Man from Thirty Thirty Six or something, right? Uh, it's apparently this guy like was caught for shoplifting and the police couldn't find out who he was. There's no record of his name and yada, yada. You know, they set this movie up in the first three minutes. Like, who is this mysterious man that nobody can figure out his identity? And he claims he's from the year 3036. Oh, and when they arrested him. The cops say, you know, what's What they arrest him for? For being Shop, from 3036? Shop, oh, shoplifting. Okay. And they're like, why are you shoplifting? He said, I didn't know it was illegal because food and clothing is free in the future. <laughs> and where I come from. Which seems like the perfect crime. Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, so, about six minutes into this documentary... This reporter gets a hold of the guy, and he's like, hey, I want to shoot a whole documentary about you. You know, I believe you. You're from the future. Yeah. yeah. I'm totally bought in. You know, let's get this on tape. And, of course, the guy's like, oh, I can't do it. You don't want to know. 
Right. <laughs> you know, that's, which is another great line. The reason I came back was, <laughs> yeah. I can't tell you. But he asked him about time travel, and the guy says, oh, yeah, time travel is well known to be possible, but, you know, normal citizens can't do it, only military and, you know, high-level government officials can do it in the future and yada, yada. Well, so he's sitting on a park picnic table doing this interview, and the guy, like, is just talking and meandering thoughts, right? Right. And I couldn't help but notice he's going, like, uh, well, you know, for years and for years, and, uh, you know, you guys think that cell phones are so cool, but I'm telling you, they're full of radioactive waves, and they're melting your brains, and... <laughs> And, and the just I paused for a minute because the way that he spoke was like the exact way we speak today. Oh, you know, <laughs> like the same uh, euphemisms, the same lingo, the same whatever. You know, just the. Uh, what so, about, so why why was that surprising to you? Because you believe he's from the future? Well, no, because I'm thinking. <laughs> If you took someone from 1936 and did an interview with them, they would sound totally foreign to us. Right. If we went back and hung out with those people, we would sound totally foreign to them. Right. But now this guy's from 100 years in the future, and he talks just like we do? <laughs> anyway. So I paused it. I'm like, it's got to be fake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously fake. Yeah. Come on, man. Have some different dialect. Well, I thought if you're going to go through the process of making this fake documentary about this man from the future, like give him some weird clothes or something. Like give him a, have him click every now and then. You know, Hello, Ray. Click, click. How are you today? Click, click. What? Y'all don't talk like that anymore? Everybody clicks in the future. You know, give him some weird things that are foreign to us. All right. Don't have him just be some guy you met at the Dollar General store. Right. Who is... It? Well, but you know what? He knew he was coming back to 20-whatever. Yeah, right? he said he had to sneak. And then they asked him, are you going to go back? And he says, no, you don't have the technology. <laughs> How am I supposed to go back? <laughs> it hasn't even uh, been invented yet. Yeah. <laughs> Which, which that's an interesting premise of time travel is you can go back to whatever you want to, but now what you do, you're there. stuck. Yeah, that's it. And I'm coming back. And I'm coming back. But if you went to the future, you could come back to now, I guess. Oh, of course. Because they have the technology. They have even increased technology. <laughs> yeah, let me throw another uh, wrench in the muscle. So did here. they ever figure out who the guy really was? I turned it off. Oh, you're right, minutes. because he wasn't clicking. Yeah. He didn't say click, click. <laughs> Give him some neck gills or something, you know. God, <laughs> your, your thoughts on the future, John. They asked him. They said, you know, what, what's the living situation like? And he said, well, we do away with homes. Like, homes as you know them are gone. He said, but we all have pods. And he said, they're kind of like homes, but they're small. <laughs> he said... He said, and you kind of get in your pod, and if you want to go somewhere, your pod moves to where you want to go, and you just set your pod there, and you live there. So you go to work, you take your pod, and you... <laughs> I'm like, we have that now. They're called mobile homes. <laughs> this is not new technology. 
They're just a little more round in the future. <laughs> don't you imagine a pod to be round? Yeah. Why do we do that? A like pod doesn't shaped. have to be round. Yeah. Yeah. Why does that thought come to mind? Because that's futuristic. Less wind resistance. <laughs> more aerodynamic in the future. Yes. Oh. Because, because I'm sure they're flying to where they're going. Okay, so uh, today we're yeah, here for we, another episode of Saturday Morning Sales Meeting. Right, yeah, we are. Where are we at on time? We're at 28 minutes. Okay, well, you have any interesting car stories from the... Yeah. Well, you've been on the road a little bit. I, I have, have as you have too. Uh, I was actually at a dealership that is in a major metropolitan area, and um, they went in the last two years... They were averaging 220 to 250 units a month. Okay. Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram store. In the last two years, under new management, they have gone to between 680 and 700 units a month. That, that is insane, man. Yeah. That is insane. Incredible I growth. I would like to know what the other dealers in their area are doing. Like, did they cut their business in half? Are I, they pulling in new business? From- yeah, just, I think, pulling in new, closing more, generating business. Because, I, I in fact, I, I talked to a guy who was formerly the GM of that store, mm-hmm. uh, who was probably a little embarrassed that, you know, a store that he ran for a while has had this, you know, double... Increase, you know, was, yeah, talk uh, about buying hundred percent increase, right? And uh, well, and you, you can't help but go, God, you know, I wasn't doing too good if that yeah. store was, was really a seven hundred unit store, and I was only pushing, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, two eighty on a good month. That's uh, that's a little embarrassing. It's but, organic. I'm sure the, uh, you know, whoever's the GM now, man, he should get out. He should. Get out and go somewhere else and do the same thing. Right. Because well, it's inevitably going to go down. Well, yeah, yeah. You can't take the glory without taking the blame. Right, right. And so it's funny because I had a chance to, again, talk to the former GM and a GM of another competitor, you know, just a couple blocks away from that store that's about a 230 to 250 a month store. Right. Again, major metropolitan area. And right. asked him, so what do you, what do you think the increase of of his growth is. And he said, well, they built a new building. (laughs) (laughs) Well, God, if that's all it takes, I mean, you know, what's the investment in a new building? God, you know, I mean, if you're going to get that kind of, yeah, return. million dollars? Yeah, even if it's 10 million, if you're going to now become a 700 unit a month store from year 230. And so my opinion yeah. which is worth How what an opinion is worth process yeah they became a totally process driven store they actually have uh team lead salespeople. i love that idea yeah i do too i do too and they are i mean they are so efficient they've the the team leads they do their own deals, mm-hmm. but then they have, you know, four or five salespeople that report to them. I think they have about 30 on the floor. Yeah. And they have four or five that report to them, and they get a piece off of everybody on their team. Yeah, whatever, 5 10%. Any deal that they do, yeah, I don't even know if it's that much. You know, yeah. I mean, if they're paying, let's say, you know, 25%, yeah. uh, you know, to the, to the person, maybe they're only paying 22, and that person gets a 3% override or something. 
But yeah, so now they are they are empowered or encouraged to make sure that their team is as efficient as possible and closing as many deals as possible because that only helps their bank. Which is obviously, you know, in a smaller store not doing 700 units, we would expect the sales manager to be doing those things. Right. Only, you know, they're so busy that they yeah. can't. Yeah. But I love the idea. I mean, you're kind of adding another layer yeah. of management. Even in there a if you've bit. got a sales force of six. Yeah. If you make one of them, let's say in that, you know, the paradox there of, you know, but when do I have time to really invest in these people? I've got other things to do. So yeah, if you're in a store that small, you're ordering cars, you're appraising cars. Right. I mean, stores that size have yeah. one or two sales managers. We, we've discussed that. Yeah. Right. I mean, everything is, no, nothing is anybody's job and everything is everybody's job. Right. right? right. I mean, it's, it comes down to that. But still, you empower that one you know, top guy who yeah. has that ability to motivate and train and and say, you can close your own deals, but I'm also uh, authorizing you almost like a floor manager mm -hmm. yeah. without giving them, you know, floor manager title, but saying, hey, I'm going to give you 1% off of all their deals, but I need you, I need to see the total deals increase, right? I mean, we, we need to get better at what we're doing. I, I don't think that that size could limit that. And that's just one of the elements that they've implemented. Yeah, but I, we talked about that at length a while back, uh, what, a week or so ago. I love the idea. Yeah. I, mean, I, I think that should be used oh, know, yeah. everywhere. Absolutely. Uh, because it does, it empowers the salespeople. It gives them someone amongst their peers to go to. Right. You know, somebody that's not going to chew them out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it kind of frees up the sales managers to to do their job better, but then interact with less people right. so they can delegate more. Right. You know, and not that the sales manager should be totally hands off of no. all salespeople at that right. point, but it kind of delegates the workload. Yeah. The responsibility. I think yeah. it's a, and, and it's a gives, word, Ray. And gives a, you know, it's like, like we've talked about before, Sure, there's an intrinsic value to, you know, sharing my knowledge with somebody else. But if I'm sharing my knowledge with somebody else who I'm competing against, yeah, okay. But what's in it for me? Yeah, right. I mean, like you talked about when you had, you know, guys under you, and and yeah, if you give me half their deal, <laughs> yeah, right. well, they did both of us when we were both salesmen on the floor. Right. They would say, "Hey, here's a new hire. Why don't you mentor them?" Right. Okay, yeah. what are we getting here? Yeah, yeah. What's it, yeah. Well, we'll give you a hundred dollars spiff or something. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, you know, with the time lost, it's you know, is that just one more mini deal that I would have gotten, or yeah, right. am I losing some money here? But I tell you, the funniest part about that is when I had when I had mentees, we called them. Uh, I would say, all right, look, you can go out there and close this deal on that car you're landed on, and you're going to make a $150 mini. Right. Let me take over. I'll close this guy on a $2,000 deal. We can split it. You know, be a half deal for both of us, but right. we'll both make more money. Yeah. How about that? You know, some people get offended. No, no, get off my deal. Let me do my thing. All right. And some guys were a little bit smarter and said, hey, go for it, bro. Or after they do a couple of minis right. and then go, all right, you know what? Show me what you got. <laughs> yeah. Let me get back on the program. But it, 
And I think it all, though, goes to, I mean, that's just, like I said, one of the changes that they made. But just across the board, they are, you know, as as much as you could possibly be completely process driven. And it just shows what being process driven can do for a business when everybody is following a strict process that you know works, you're evaluating to make sure that the process is correct, and then you're implementing and enforcing that process. And yeah, it just, it changes yeah. the whole dynamic. Yeah, I think, and therein lies the key, is it's not, it's not having a great process. Uh, you can have a failing dealership that has on paper a great process. Yeah. But if you're not having any accountability or training, then, you know, what good is the process if no one's doing it? Right. So, yeah, I think that somewhere in their secret sauce yeah. is accountability. Is accountability. Yeah. Right. And and the reward to accountability, right? I mean, I'm holding you accountable, team lead, for your five guys, but you're also benefiting by them yeah. increasing and, and being better at their trade. Well, you can almost say you're holding them accountable to be successful for themselves. Right. Yeah. So, and yeah, I think it'll quickly determine. And, and then another store I was at, you know, in the past couple of weeks, um, you know, with, they have a BDC uh, and their BDC, well, there are two top people in the BDC. One of them is dating a salesperson. So she feeds him all of her best. And the other one, um, there's one sales guy who pays this other BDM or BDR a uh, hundred bucks for every deal she gives him that he closes? Nice. So yeah, it's working so, the system. So yeah, and and by the GM's own estimation, the BDC is responsible for over ninety percent of their <laughs> deals. Well, so they got two sales guys handling yeah. probably 90% of the 90%. Yeah. And then you've got all the rest of the floor, which is probably about, you know, 12 to 15. This is obviously not the 700 units. No, no, yeah. no, 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 no. I don't think that would fly. No. This is a, a failing store that, and kind of goes to your point. They have processes in place, but nobody's holding the BDM accountable. The BDM's not holding the BDRs accountable. The GM has no idea what, I mean, you know, just in me. He probably has a, it's like the telephone game, right? He probably hears from, it, it probably goes through three people before it gets to his ears. Right. And he so he has no idea what's actually happening. Right. If he knew that some salesman was paying a hundred bucks, he probably wouldn't be okay with that. Yeah. If he knew that, you know, some well, girl was feeding you know, her boyfriend. In, in the back of my mind, I almost, uh, I can't blame the sales guy. Hell no. Right? I mean, he's you know, working the system. Right. You know, hey, if I want to give somebody a $100 bill, really, do you care? It's the invisible hand, Ray. The invisible hand. Yeah. You Which know, is? The invisible hand. Yeah. Capitalism. It, it, it rewards the ingenuitous. Ingenuitous, yes. Another word created here on Saturday morning sales. Those week. with ingenuity. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, so unless you say, no, you're not allowed to give. But, and and when the other salespeople complained, I would think, well, what's stopping you from giving 100 bucks off of your deal? Unless, well, I'm only getting a mini, so it means I'm only making 50 bucks per deal. Yeah, no kidding. 
So the invisible hand, Ray, uh, just to put it more succinctly, it's really a metaphor for the unseen forces that move the free market economy, basically through individual self-interest and freedom of production, as well as consumption, in the best interest of society as a whole is fulfilled. You know, you should write for Wikipedia. Well, you know. Or Google. I just like to put things succinctly when we're on record like this on the podcast. Right. Yeah. That that was pretty good. Well, thank you. It just kind of came to me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Keys were your hands were flying over those keys. Oh, that. Yeah. <clears throat> I had a text. I was responding to a text. You were deciding what you're having for lunch. Yeah, I was ordering some food. All right. You know, so Adam Smith wrote a book about that. It's, oh, it's God. all right. Hand. Enough of you reading off of your Google search. Yeah, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was written in 1758 or or was it 59? One of those. <laughs> I think it was 1759. Actually. <laughs> Uh, God, you're good. No uh, LinkedIn. Uh, I, you know, I was perusing uh, LinkedIn and hey, I've got something for us. Tell me, what do you got? How about cryptocurrency? Oh, I know that that is your uh, your side hustle, if you will. Well, it was for years until I sold everything I had at the bottom. At the bottom. <laughs> It's nothing like my old pappy used to say, buy high, sell low. Right. <laughs> and I followed those words of wisdom all of my life, which is what brought me what I have today. Right. <laughs> Look where I got you. <laughs> uh, yeah, so yeah, I sold uh, all of my Bitcoin maybe a year and a half ago when it was maybe 3500 a coin. Right. And I think now it's trading for at least 4000 4500 somewhere in there. Yeah. Or 50,000. Is it really? You know, look, you, you got your old. I, I don't know. What is it as of right now, John? Because I see the. Yeah, all well, the, the tickers are ticking, Ray. The, the tickers. If I had one of those glass things with the ticker tape, it would be just spitting out. My father had one of those on his desk. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Did it just print paper? No, it was or... just a showpiece. It didn't do anything, but it was one of the old tickers <laughs> yeah. from. Where they would, you know, rip off the tape and uh, read out what the, you know, what pork the, bellies, right? Crashing. That's the only. That's the only thing I know about the stock market is what I learned in uh, trading places. Oh right. Yeah, pork bellies are they go up at Christmas time, I believe. Or the, uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off when they're down on the floor of, uh, or maybe they're scene. in the observation area of the floor and you see the guys, you know, they're buying and selling on the floor, actually trading. You ever been? Or, or seen video of the floor of the New York Stock Exchange well, or the Commodities Exchange uh, in Chicago? Wa- the second Wall Street. Okay. The one with uh, Michael Douglas in it. It's pretty much. Yeah. Those guys with vests. I mean, you know, with all the technology we have, and, and probably not this way anymore, but yeah, I remember uh, observing the That's floor. Yeah, the, the guys with the vests. You, no, they, they, all the if you're on the floor, at least at the time, if you were oh. on the floor of this New York Stock Exchange, you had to be there by a member broker, right? Only certain seats. You had to have a seat on the New York Stock Exchange, okay. and you had your guys who would actually be conducting, you know, sales. You're thinking you know, of trains now. Buys and sells on the floor. Right, it was pretty yeah. wild. You know, people hollering out, "Hey, I got, you know, I'll buy. You know, they got a buyer for this. You know, and this price, and this price. Who's got it? Who's got it? Who's got it? Yeah, I'll sell, sell, buy, sell, buy." Yeah, the old, uh, the old buyers and sellers. Yeah, yeah. man. So That's cool stuff. So I discovered a uh, an old wallet 
I just logged into an old account. I'm talking about some leather thing that you kept in your back pocket. No, an old uh, cryptocurrency wallet. Right, a virtual wallet. A virtual crypto-locked wallet. Stumbled upon it. Well, hell, I've been holding these coins for like three or four. It was 2016, so four years. For four years. And, and that was just one you forgot about. I probably had $200 in there or something. Who knows? Now it's worth more. It was worth a significant amount, you know. It was just a life. It's, I can't retire, <laughs> but I can trade. Right. So, so yeah, I'm back into the trading You're back into now. the game. Yeah, Look at there. Man. That's better than finding a $20 bill in your jeans. It, it felt very similar. Yeah, I bet it did. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. And, and uh, crypto's not going anywhere, Ray. I, I, I agree. the announcement the other day. Uh, the dollar, I'm not so sure geez. if it's going anywhere or not. But uh, oh, crypto, Lord. that's here to stay. Get me started on the Federal Reserve. Uh, oh. <laughs> and if I had to say, I would say the Federal Reserve is, you know, just off the top of my head. <laughs> hey, I've, I've watched it a few the fiduciary institution the of the Reserve. United States that is neither a... <laughs> Let me tell you. I don't. I gotta send you this documentary on the Federal Reserve. It's printed on the, every single bill in the United States, and it's a fictional. It's a private company. It has yeah. nothing to do with the government. Right. It loans our government money. It's a well, public private. It's. It it's does a, have some involvement in in government, but yeah, no, it's private. The Pri board privately owned. The board that runs the Federal Reserve is completely separate and aside. They are not government employees. Right. Right. It's crazy. It is. And it's a house of cards. It's going to crash any day. So put your money in Bitcoin. All right. Uh, there was one more thing. I don't know. We might be deemed a conspiracy theory podcast, John, if you continue down this road too far. So yeah. I saw a quote the other day, a tweet. Somebody said, you know, in uh, France, in French, they don't say, I miss you. They say, you are missing from me. How sweet is that? And this reply came through that said, in Texas, we don't say you all, we say y'all. Unless there's a lot of y'all, then we say all of y'all. <laughs> Isn't that cool? How sweet is that? <laughs> yeah. All right, well, we want to thank you again for joining us for another episode of Saturday Morning Sales Meeting. We do appreciate you listening, and we hope you'll listen again. to learn more about John and Ray, visit our website, SaturdayMorningSalesMeeting.com, where you can also listen to additional episodes or read articles we've written. Or email us directly, info at SaturdayMorningSalesMeeting.com. We'd love to hear show ideas, comments, feedback. What about dealers and sales managers, Ray? If you're a dealer or manager who would like more information on our sales training, BDC training, new hire training, or process evaluation and improvement, simply email us, info at SaturdayMorningSalesMeeting.com. And don't forget about the total dealership assessment, Ray. That's where we come in, evaluate the sales process, look at the lead flow. I mean, if you've got leads that you're not handling properly, we can help. And we can help both on the variable and fixed operation sides of the dealership. 
Right, and these are immediate action items that you can put in place tomorrow to sell more cars. Or write more ROs. Right, simply email us, info at SaturdayMorningSalesMeeting.com. That's info at SaturdayMorningSalesMeeting.com.